0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God, regardless of our circumstances, and how God is sovereign overall. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives.
1: But hey, if you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter three, Daniel chapter 3, we have a large chunk of text to get through. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in. So God, our Heavenly Father, this morning, we just want to uh, just pray that you clear our minds of any distractions and open our hearts to receive your word well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, I'm a bit of a movie buff. If the, you guys don't know me, I love watching movies. I have a plethora of useless information in my head when it comes to movie quotes. My kids and I, we loved watching the Avengers series. Anybody seen that movie? Yep, loved it. Um, go back to the first Avengers. Bear with me for a bit. It's, there's a villain in the first Avengers. His name is Loki. He's the god of destruction, chaos, right, and war. And in this scene specifically, He's in Paris, he's at an art gala and there is thousands of people there and this is where he is going to make him reveal himself if you will to the world because he plans on being the new ruler of the planet earth. And so chaos breaks out and all the people run out to the streets and here comes Loki. Now he is in normal street clothes at this point and as he's walking down the steps he transforms if you will into his godly attire green robe, big horns. He gets his little cane, turns into a scepter, and he demands that the people bow to him. He demands it. He slams the scepter down. He says, bow, and they don't. And he creates massive amounts of chaos, blowing up police cars, doing all this stuff, and then he slams it again and says, bow, and everyone bows. And he says to them, isn't that just easier? And as he says that, this elderly gentleman stands up and refuses to bow. And he says, "Old man, bow to me." He goes, "I don't bow to men like you." And he says, "Oh, old man, there's never been a man like me." And I love this response. There will always be men like you. Just brings goosebumps. And so this morning what we're going to see is a, a group of friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, are put in a place a challenge, if you will, to bow down to a golden idol and the courage that they have to not do it. You see, we all want to be that elderly gentleman, don't we? We all think of ourselves that, man, if we push comes to shove, we will not bow. We will stand. Death or not, we will stand. None of us want to be the crowd that bows down. None of us want to be those people let just cowardly put our heads down and, because life will be easier that way. We all want to be that elderly gentleman. But how? How do we get there? And this morning, our, our big idea is this, that courageous faith must reject idolatrous worship. Courageous faith rejects idolatrous worship. And what we're going to see is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they go through their life and they're Again, the ups and downs you knew last week and the week before, man, they were pulled into exile, forced indoctrination, refusing to eat the food that King Nebuchadnezzar demanded that they eat and the drink that he demanded that they drink. All right, they're doing good, nice and quiet. Last week we found out that, hey, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and if the Chaldeans or the sorcerers couldn't interpret that dream, that all the people would, all the officials would die, meaning Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, all. We're on death's row again, and God delivered her from that. And so what we're going to see today is what courageous faith really looks like. What courageous faith really looks like. What does it look like in such a hostile environment that we have? I mean, we just, we're celebrating the sanctity of life. Hear me. Outside these walls, that is not popular. There might be people in your family that are mad at you because you celebrate sanctity of life. That's, you know, like they don't like us. This is a hostile environment that we live in. They're not gonna like us when we take stances on certain biblical truths. It's just gonna happen that way. We know it is. And here we're gonna see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are forced into bowing down and they refuse to. And the first thing we're gonna see is how do we, I got my notes all mixed up. How do we, How do we live with courageous faith in such a hostile culture? How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, the first thing that we have to do is we have to reject we have to reject the cultural idolatry. We have to reject cultural idolatry. Read with me in chapter three, verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was sixty cubits and its breadth was six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the, the magistrates and all the officials in the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the province gathered to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King, Neb- King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaim out loud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music... All the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So here we have, if you remember from last week, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, a dream so terrifying to him that it says his sleep left him. Now understand, he is the most powerful human on the planet at this time. And so for something to terrify him that bad, right, would have to be something astronomical. So it terrifies him. And what does he do? He makes these guys come and, hey, interpret my, tell me my dream and interpret it, but they can't. And when Daniel finally does, Nebuchadnezzar realizes that his rule and reign has an end. It will come to an end. And he gets paranoid. He... Decides, I gotta make sure that this doesn't happen. And so what better way to unite the kingdom of Babylon than to put them under one religious rule? I'm gonna make a a golden statue. This was 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. And that when you hear the music, you are to bow down and worship it. Bring unity. It makes sense. Remember, he conquered Syria, Egypt, Jerusalem, how many other nations? This is a melting pot of people. And so he can't have certain people worshiping other gods or doing other things because that could mean that it's against, it's gonna bring an end to his rule and reign. So what does he do? One religion. One religion. It's honestly, what it represents is a loyalty test. Bow, worship, you're for me. Don't bow, you're against me, death. And from a ruling standpoint, it makes sense. Why would you want anybody that's against you? And so what does he do? He makes the golden image, sets up a decree. But you see, here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're of an elite group of people. When they were pulled from Jerusalem, remember what chapter one says, Nebuchadnezzar took the best of the best that he might indoctrinate them in the ways of Babylon. So these three men knew from their parents what what the Old Testament said. They understood what the law was. The Ten Commandments, the first Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. And into Nebuch- Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bowing down to this image. We don't know what the image is. We don't know if it's an image of Nebuchadnezzar or if it's some demigod that he decided to, you know, cocked up in his own mind. We don't know what it is. But they knew that bowing to it would go against what they believed. It would go against the Yahweh God, the God of the universe. They did not bow. They refused to. And imagine the pressure on them. Imagine the pressure to not bow. Hear me, you don't just one day decide to be the most courageous guy in a group of thousand people and stand up. You've been through things. Like that old man that stood up. He's probably been through things in that movie, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't just decide, like, hey, we're just gonna, we're, we're gonna be super courageous right now. Go back to chapter one. What th- didn't they do? They did not partake in the food that Nebuchadnezzar demanded that they eat. They did not drink the, the drink that he demanded that they drink. They were setting themselves up for this moment. God was getting them ready for it. Be courageous in the little things. So that when the big things come, we're ready. Imagine the pressure that they had. And so the question is, is, is this, is what are, what are our idols? You see, we don't have a 90-foot golden image to worship, do we? I don't think so, anyway. I mean, nobody's making us go to New York and bow down to the you know, Statue of Liberty. But we, we have cultural idols. Things that we put on ourselves our stuff. Consumer, consumerism is, a, is an idol, we want more stuff. And because we want more stuff, we have to work more. And now that we work more, we have less time for our family, we have less time for church, we have less time for God. We miss church because we have to work so we can have more stuff. Some of us, here's the hard one, and I'm going to say this, I love this saying that they say like in middle school, you know, like if you, if you see a finger pointing at you, just remember there's three fingers pointing back at that person. So as I'm pointing this finger, hear me. There's three pointing back at me. I'm just as guilty as everyone else with this one. Some of us idolize our kids. Man, we put them up on a pedestal. I was talking to a gentleman between services today, and, and uh, he, he has an opportunity to talk to lots and lots of people, and he sees it all the time. As the kids get older and start moving out, the divorce rate like quadruples. Because you're so busy and focused on your kids and making sure they have everything and that they got every opportunity to be so successful here and now on this planet that we ignore our spouse, which is 100% against what the Bible preaches. We are to focus on our spouses before we focus on our children, but we don't. You see, a lot of us will spend more time in the gym or the ball fields on Saturday than we do church on Sunday. And that's convicting. The saying is, is that what you put most of your time in, that's where your heart is. And so the question is, is what are we spending all of our time on? And hear me, I, mm, I'm a sports guy. I I love the Lions just like everyone else does and want them to win today. I'm so happy that my kid can hit a curveball and that he can make free throws, and that he can make layups, and he can drive through five people and make a layup, and he's a beast. But the ultimate question is, is does he know the Lord? Do they have a relationship with Jesus? See, that's where we got to get to. That's the importance. doesn't matter if they're the best athlete in, in Richmond or Romeo. Do they know the Lord? Do they have a relationship? Do they have a place in the book of life? And as parents, we are responsible to show them that. But if we're constantly making excuses, if we're constantly focused on the things of this world, the here and the now, man, we're, we're missing the boat. Another way that we see and on how we have to live in such a hostile environment with, with courageous belief is that we have to refuse to compromise. One, we have to reject The idolatrous worship, we have to. But two, we have to refuse to compromise. Listen to what these three men did. Verse 13 says this. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is this God who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of the hand, out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. They refuse to compromise. Understand. Like these Chaldeans, they, they, they see that these Jews are not bowing, and it makes them mad. Remember who the Chaldeans are in this story. In chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar calls him and the the Chaldeans three times pleaded to him, tell us your dream so we can interpret. And it made Nebuchadnezzar so furious that he was ready to tear him limb from limb because they could not do it. And here comes Daniel. And he tells him his dream and interprets it for him. Those Chaldeans must have been so angry with him. Because now, Daniel and his friends got promoted to even a higher level. Such a level that they had a relationship with Nebuchadnezzar. They talked to him plainly. You could understand what he was saying here. Hey, fellas, listen. Um, I'm pretty upset with you right now, but if you will, like, if you're ready to, let's just do it. Just, just, When you hear the sounds, when you hear the songs, just bow. All is well. Right? No problem. But if you don't, I mean, I'm going to have this right in the fire furnace. And they could have compromised, they could have talked to King Nebuchadnezzar, like, here's the deal, man. Like, you know who we are. You know, you know our beliefs. You know when you pulled this out of Jerusalem that we have a God that you even admitted in chapter 2 when Daniel showed you your dream that we, you serve the God above all other gods. You saw that. So here's the deal. How about, like, we just, we just bow our heads down like this? We don't really get on our hands and knees? They could have just made a little compromise, but no. They were ready for it. They have been preparing for this. The ups and downs of their life, the stressfulness of their lives. Of Two times now, right, death was on the doorstep, and yet they're not compromising. And understand the social pressure that they must have endured during this time. They weren't walking around pounding on their chest, we're not gonna take it. No, they were quiet. They minded their own business. You can imagine that when the song started, they probably hid so nobody would see them. To be, go inside. But people knew. People knew they weren't bowing. They knew they weren't, they weren't doing it. Don't affiliate with them. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen. When King Nebuchadnezzar finds out that these three guys are not bowing, I don't want to be guilty of association. You know his temper. You know what he's like. And if we hang with them, if we let them in our store and shop in these things and do these things and let our kids play with their kids or whatever, like we could be guilty by association with them. So understand the social pressure that they had. Outside of the governing body pressure, death was on the doorstep. That was what was coming. And they did not compromise. And I love how they say it when the Chaldeans went to King Nebuchadnezzar, what'd they say? Oh king, live forever, like groveling at his feet. Not these three. They didn't even call him king. They just said, Oh Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. And, and don't miss this part. This is huge. in in verse 17, if this be so, our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And hear this, he will deliver us out of your hand. This is what that means. So so oftentimes when we just read text, we read it and we kind of miss this. They know God has the ability to save them from the fiery furnace. They're not saying he will save us from the fiery furnace. He is able to save us from the fiery furnace, but what they are saying is, he will deliver us out of your hands, meaning whether we live or die, we will be delivered out of your hands. They're prepared for it. Death to them is being delivered out of Nebuchadnezzar's hands. They're ready for it. They're prepared for it. One of my really close friends um, growing up, he right in his early 20s got married, and in it, it, and about six months into the marriage, he found out that his um, wife had a brain tumor. And it didn't look good. You know, it's, it was tough. Six months of marriage, and they're going through it. I think she fought it for about two years. But I remember talking to him um, them on the phone, and, and I just remember the one thing that he said that, she, that was her saying. In fact, it was coined at her funeral. They said it. And it said, whether I live or die, I win. Whether I live or die. That's the stance that these guys are taking. Listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, whether we live or die, we win. But we will not compromise our belief. We will not compromise and bow to the image that you have made because God will deliver us. We will not bow. The power, the strength that that takes. And hear me, church, here's the fear that we've become so used to compromise as Christians. That the line between Christian and non-Christian is almost non existent. That the church has become so lukewarm, there's no difference between in here and out there anymore. It's terrifying. We we've compromised in everything because we don't, I mean, we don't want to be mean, we don't want to be controversial. And and yet here we stand and you can't tell the difference. That's the fear that's going on. And these guys are standing. We can learn from them. And hear me, we're all guilty of it. Well, most of us are. There might be one or two here and not. I know I am. Hey, it's, it's your kid's really, really good at soccer. Just one tournament. One tournament. I remember that day because I, I realized that my kid's good at soccer, but he's only kind of, like, he's Richmond good at soccer. He's not, like, Romeo good at soccer. Um, <laughs> true story, all right? But... They asked him to be on a tournament team. It was one of my close friends from high school and invited him to be on his tournament team. And he's like, he's really good. We want to be on a tournament team. It's a Saturday and Sunday. I'm like, that's great, but we don't do sports on Sunday. If you do, I, if that's, that's between you and God. I, we just we chose at the moment. We're not going to do it. He, so he'll be with you all day Saturday. We go to church Sunday. If you guys win Sunday morning, he'll be there after service. And my, my buddy Dan just goes, don't you think God will understand, man? It's just one Sunday. And I go, you know what? I don't, I don't want to put them in that position to have to. Like, I know our conviction is church on Sunday. And then a few years later, here we are, three kids playing in three different teams on a Sunday morning. And I, we got home from that, and I looked at Laura, and I was like, that's never going to happen again. So convicting. Like at some point we have to stop compromising on those little things because one tournament turns into two tournaments and two tournaments turns into a travel team and a travel team turns into I'm only really on church on Easter and Christmas now. Maybe Thanksgiving because, well, Thanksgiving, there's usually big tournaments that weekend. Like where where are we going? What are we doing? And again, I'm just using that as an analogy. There's so many things that we can put into that compromising category when it comes to work when it comes to compromising on our tax returns, when it comes to compromising in all things, like, hear me out, you can compromise in and everything. And it's the slow faith that will slowly but surely take you away from the convictions of the Bible, the convictions of the Holy Spirit. It becomes so watered down, you don't know them anymore. And it's time to revert back, and how do we do it? How do we get to that place? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to identify those things that consume all of our time. And it's so easy to say, just identify and write them down. I'm sure we could. Where's most of my time? Write it out. And this is where it gets hard. Stop doing them. And then turn to the ways of the Lord. Start spending more time in the word. Start spending more time with the friends in church, because that's more important than my kid hitting a curveball. And the last thing that we're going to see this morning, and I say it's the last thing, but it's a big one, is how do we live in a culture that's, how do we live in a a courageous life in a culture that's so hostile is that we have to trust in God's deliverance. We have to trust in his deliverance. Read with me in, in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he ordered the fiery furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace." Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste and declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to, to the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel in deliverance and delivered his servants who trusted in him and led aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve, serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree any people, nations, or languages that speak anything against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. And for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That's a big chunk of text there. So you could see, understand this. King Nebuchadnezzar gets so furious. And here's what pride, arrogance, and anger does. He takes the strongest men from his army. And he has Shadrach, Meshach, and the goat bound by them and thrown in the fiery furnace and the strongest men in his army die, throwing them into the fire. Like, nice job. Way to go. Like, the strongest men in the, in the city you just killed. Great. Right? And hear me when I say this. like, King Nebuchadnezzar stands up and he looks down and he sees four unbound. Like, He's like, I threw three in and they were tied up and now they're untied and there's a fourth and that fourth is in the image of the gods, and we know that forth to be the pre-incarnate Christ in there with them, saving them from the fire. What a beautiful scene it is! And hear what, what, what these guys did—they weren't—they were not—they not, were not compromising. They weren't doing that stuff because they wanted some special medals or to be promoted. They were doing it out of obedience. They did that out of obedience. Not for salvation, but because of salvation, they were obedient. And they got thrown into this pit. And, and, and here they are, Nebuchadnezzar staring down at them. The fourth of like one of the gods, the son of the gods. And, and, and here, this is the beauty of it. Here's what this corresponds to, it correlates to. That Jesus was in that fire with them. And here, God could have saved them in any way, shape, or form he chose. He could have hid them from the Chaldeans so nobody knew that they weren't bowing. He could have put the flames out. He could have had the guards trip on the way up. He did not save them from the fire. He saved them in the fire. And when, and when you see that, here's where it corresponds to, that that pre-incarnate Christ that saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, or in the fiery furnace, thousands of years later, was the incarnate Christ, we know him as Jesus, born, lived the perfect, sinless life, died for our sins, that we wouldn't have to endure the fires of hell for those who would believe and put their faith in Jesus, Don't miss that. You get to see it, right? Like it's beautiful how that works. And because of their obedience, listen to what King Nebuchadnezzar says Come out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. He's acknowledging that there is a God greater than all gods, the most high God. You see, when, when we constantly compromise, when we're constantly just wash, wishy-washy with our stuff, the people around us don't see Christ. When we look like everybody else and act like everybody else, when we don't have that regenerate heart, our neighbors don't see Christ. The people around us don't see God, and these guys here, man, they hold true to their convictions, and in doing so, King Nebuchadnezzar admits, servants of the Most High God, and his humility of, because only their God is able to save in that way. Hear me, only our God is able to save in that way. There is no other God that can save you from hell. Only Jesus, only belief in him, only full obedience and faith to him will save us. That's what we have. That's the God we serve. And hear me, it's not going to be easy. Life is not going to be easy. They're not going to like us for taking stances, for not compromising. John chapter 18, they hated me. I mean, Jesus, man. they hated me. They will hate you. You are not of the world, for if you were of the world, they would not hate you, but you are not of the world, you are of me, and if you are of me, the world will hate you because it hated me. They will, times are tough, but hear what Paul says, I love this, he says this, Romans eight eighteen, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that has been revealed to us. Church, it is time that we stop living for the here and now and start living for heaven, that we start being heavenly-minded people.
0: Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org to introduce yourself today.